Well, I certainly hope you've enjoyed the worship of this far, and it's great to be, be together on Easter Sunday. It's certainly the most important, uh, absolute most important event, the most important Sunday for us uh, that are Christian believers, and we're grateful to God for you. We had prepared for 1,600 here in this room, and of course, that's, that's, we've got more than 1,600. We prepared for another 100 on the other side, and there's more there. It's just, it's just an awesome awesome thing. I, I, I just, it would, I would be remiss if I just didn't give a shout out to all of the teams that have helped prepare uh, for this weekend. It's, it's taken a lot of work, a lot of transition, but they have just given their all and committed because of what Christ has done in our life and because they love you. And I, I do want you to know we, we love you. We love our city. We love what God is doing in the life uh, of people. And it's just great to be here uh, together. I, I love Easter. Uh, for a lot of, lot of reasons, and, and one of them uh, is because it's one of the two Sundays of the year that you don't have to guess what I'm going to preach about, right? You don't have to guess uh, what I'm going to preach around Christmas. You don't have to guess what's going to be preached on Resurrection Sunday. And if you're, if you're here for the first time, if this is your first time at a, at a CT service, um, first of all, I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad that you're here. And... I know that it it takes a lot of courage to walk into a place, and I know we're not in a traditional uh, church building. While I'm on that subject, I have no idea what we're going to do for Easter next year. Absolutely no idea. We went from the biggest building that we could find uh, in the city. But I know it takes a lot of courage to come uh, into a place that you may not have a whole lot of comfort with. And so I, I just want to thank you for, for giving, us a, giving us a shot. If, you, if you're one of those folks that just come on Christmas and Easter, can I tell you, I'm still grateful for you. I'm so grateful. I'm thankful. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you chose uh, CTC. Now, we, we do a lot during the year. We do a lot of events. We do a lot of community outreach. We, as, as I've noted already, we love our city. We love what God is doing uh, in the life of our community. We're grateful for uh, our city and even our city leaders allowing us to be, uh, to be here. And I, I'm thankful for the city leaders that are even uh, in attendance. But you'll find that one of the things that we do every Sunday is that we worship God. We love people. We worship God. We love uh, to be together. And we, we celebrate what we're celebrating today. We know that there was a Savior that came. We know there was a Savior that died. We know that this, there's a Savior that rose again, and he actually lives. And we get to testify about what Jesus Christ has done in our life. At the heart of Christianity, at the heart of it, it's, it's not a new moral code. It's not even a, a, a new perspective of, of life or living uh, or faith. Uh, it, it is absolutely trusting in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in the power of Jesus Christ. And so, again, if you're, if you're here for the first time or first time being uh, with us, uh, I just, I just want to ask you just to give me, I don't know where you are on your journey, but just give me 30 minutes. 30 minutes, I ask you to keep your mind open, your heart open, and your, and your ears open. If you give me your all, and at the end of the 30 minutes, you say, nothing's changed for me, then fair enough. But I'm telling you, if you give me 30 minutes and give the Spirit of God 30 minutes, you will hear something that will absolutely change your life. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, fulfilling everything that he promised. 
And if you knew, if you were convinced that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead, it would absolutely matter to you. It would have to, it would have to matter. And I'm telling you, you'll hear something that could bring your life on a totally end around. Faith happens. Hear this. Faith happens when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. When the unexplainable meets the undeniable, that's when faith happens. And so absolutely we know that for those who cannot explain away the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's an undeniable thing. And we're so, so grateful. Many people have doubted. Many people, there's all kinds of theories on what happened to Jesus and whether he really died. And there's a powerful verse. It it really helps a lot of us who go through doubts and people on their journey who go through doubts because the scripture gives us the thought that even the very disciples The apostles who followed Jesus, they had some unanswered questions. Uh, Matthew 28, 17, it it talks about that. The scripture says here that the 11 disciples was gathered with Jesus on the mountain, and they worshiped him, but some doubted. Here is a a time when Jesus had gathered all of his disciples together on the hillside. He already had been alive, seen among them for, for 40 days, and he's given them a commission that they're to go out and share the gospel, the very gospel that we're going to preach uh, today. And he was on the Mount Mount of Olives, and there he is ascending after giving that message. And yet some doubted. They'd been with Jesus for that period of time. They've hung out with him for another three months almost, and there they see him floating uh, in the air back to the Father, and some doubted. But even in the midst of all of that struggle, they came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ's message was real because they could not deny the fact that this Jesus, who they saw crucified, was raised from the dead. Can you say amen? Yes. So I'm going to read one verse to you. Normally, at, at, at the, when we're in the building, I'll, I would have you to stand. But today, you are right, right where you are. And, and the truth of it is there's people waiting all on the walls. If you stand, if you, you might lose it. So you, so you might just want to stay, stay right where you are so you don't lose your seat. And I'll, uh, I'll read this one verse. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 4. It says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, hear this, we too might walk in newness of life. Father, I just ask you to help me for these next 25 minutes to bring forth, Lord, the gospel message, to reflect, Lord God, with power, with passion, and with love, the real truth that there was a Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, who came from heaven in the flesh to reveal to us who you are and your love and your purpose, who fulfilled all the promises that we read about in the Old Testament. He gave his life for our sins. He was buried for three days. And he rose again, declaring that all power in heaven and earth has been given unto him. Help me, Lord Jesus, to bring that message with power, with truth. May I decrease that you might increase. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. Amen. So I'm going to take the next 25 minutes or so just to establish the fact of what the real foundation of our faith is based on the resurrection. The first two points, all the points that I'm going to make primarily are coming out of the book of Romans. Romans was a book written by a man by the name of Paul 
who also was a doubter, and I'll talk about him in just a moment. But he put a whole lot of emphasis on what he knew to be true. The fact, even though he denied it, that there was no doubt that Jesus Christ indeed, the one who he looked upon, was the Savior. He makes that point initially in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 4, because the resurrection proved Jesus was who he said he was. It proved it. Verse number 4 of Romans 1 says this, he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now catch this. It said that was the proof. The resurrection did not make him the son of God. He already was the son of God. But raising from the dead was the proof indeed that he was the son of God, that he was the eternal Christ, the eternal Savior, the very God of very God. The resurrection proves to us that Jesus is who he said he is. The second point that Paul makes about the resurrection is in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Because here he, said, he shows us that Jesus' death accomplished what he said it would. The resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God. But the resurrection also proves that the death of Jesus accomplished what God said that it would. It's verse 25 of Romans chapter 4. And it says this, he was handed over to die. Because of our sins, he died a death, not because he had to. Jesus indeed was sinless. It's us that's sinful. It's us that's sinners. It's us that's born into sin. But because of the love of the Father and wanting to have a full relationship with every one of us. Hear this. God never created any of us to be separated from him. Every one of us was born to live forever. And the hope of God is that all of us would live an eternal life with him, rejoicing and praising with the God who knows us, the God who created us, the God who made us, who given us every detail of our life. Paul says this here, that this Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised from, from death so that we would have a right to be with God, that life the life of Christ makes us right with God. Hear that. Because Jesus took up on our sins and died the death that he did, which the wages of sin is death, the price was paid by Jesus Christ. But when Jesus rose from the dead, it absolutely shows all of us that the price and penalty of sin has been paid in its entirety by the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that now, Every one of us can be right with God. The resurrection is the proof that the cross worked. It proved who Jesus was, and it also proved that everything he determined to do was accomplished. The very writer of this, Paul the apostle, was one that didn't believe. He had no desire to believe in this Jesus. He absolutely thought Jesus was an imposter. Everything about Jesus he thought was phony. People that was following Jesus, he thought that they were silly, that they were foolish. They were going after someone. And especially when he saw this Jesus get crucified on the cross, it just, it just overwhelmed his thinking. How can one who says he's the son of God die? How can one that says he is the king of kings die? How can, he, how can one that says he's the Lord of lords actually experience a death? It just overwhelmed him. There's no way that this person 
this man who was the son of a carpenter could be indeed the son of God and the Savior. But in minutes, in minutes, when Paul was on his way to make sure that there was, if there was other people following after Jesus, his whole mission was either to imprison them, some were even killed, some were martyred. That was his whole mission, is that no one else believes further in this Jesus, this Savior. So he was on that mission, and that very day, he met the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He heard the voice from heaven. So here is the number one enemy of Christianity. All of a sudden, everything about his mind is changed. He, the one who was an enemy now becomes the biggest proponent of Christianity and the resurrection. This happened in an instant. By doing so, this very man, he walked away from all the prestige that he had because he was a very prestigious fella. He walked away from all the power. He walked, walked away from all of the financial stability. He ended up being someone who was poor, someone going around that was persecuted and experienced beatings and spent more time in prison than he did alive after, after all of that and died beheaded. How in the world could that happen just like that? Because he saw the resurrected Lord in minutes. It's, it's really hard to try to even think about how that can happen, how that kind of transformation can happen in any of our lives. I'm, I'm going to do the best I can to, to, to let you know what that would be like for me, to go from something that I absolutely don't believe to something that I totally believe in. I think most of you, anybody that knows me in Yuma knows that I am an absolute devoted Raiders fan. I mean, I am a Raiders fan to the bone. I just love the Raiders. Even when they're losing, it doesn't matter. I just go down rejoicing and, and, and wishing my team. And yet when people say next game, it's like, no, this game, didn't you see how many yards we got? We got a first down. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm all over it as a Raiders fan. And I absolutely believe that the Dallas Cowboy fans are the most delusional. They are the most delusional people on the planet. They think that every time they win a game, you see, we're on our way to the Super Bowl. Every time they win, they just think they're on their way. So this would be for me if the late, great Tom Landry made a visitation to me and said to me, now, you know, Tyrone, I was a born-again believer, and I'm in heaven, and I need you to know that God is a Cowboys fan, <laughs> that God loves the Cowboys, and I'm telling you, if you want to get in heaven where I am, you're going to have to start rooting for the Dallas Cowboys, and I walk on our stage next Sunday. We'll be at our regular building, 8, 30, 10, 15 at noon. I walk out there and I say, I got a big announcement to make. I got a big announcement to make. I've had a visitation that I cannot deny. And I now know God is a Cowboys fan. And I got to give up my Raiders and take on the Cowboys. And I rebuke that in the name of the Lord Jesus. But that's the best example I could come up with of a transformation. Paul, in an instant, was absolutely transformed when he saw the risen Savior. And he testified about the risen Lord. He testified about it. Even the very apostles that was following Jesus, every single one of them 
They died all but one. They all were tortured. All but one died a martyr's death. But not one time did they give up the fact that they know Jesus Christ was alive. They died testifying that this risen Savior is our Lord. If it was a myth, there is no way in the world those apostles would have kept up that line. There's no way in the world they'd have kept that up for 40 years. They would be stone crazy to do that. They were martyred because of their confession. Even even the half-brother of Jesus who lived with him, he also, after, now mind you, if I took the time to go through the Gospels, he doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. He doubted that he was a Savior until when? When he saw the resurrected Lord. When he saw the resurrected Lord, he could not deny that this fellow who I lived with, who was my half-brother, we had the same mother, he is indeed the Savior. It wasn't an add-on message for them. It was absolutely the center of everything that they preached. They were willing to die. They were willing to watch their friends and their loved ones die for something that they knew was true. One of my heroes of the faith is a man by the name of Chuck Colson, Charles Colson. He's a special counsel to President Nixon in, in Nixon's inner circle when Watergate took place. He writes in his memoirs that when Watergate broke out, there was 10 men who met secretly together. And they came up to, with this story of how they were going to cover this up. And they all swore that they would maintain it. He said these were some of the toughest men that you would find in the world and 10 of the most powerful men that you would find in the world. And within three weeks, they all caved in. Within three weeks. This is what Colson says. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You telling me 12 apostles could keep what people say is a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is a proven fact. Can you say amen? Amen. So it proves to us who Jesus is and that Jesus accomplished everything that he said he would accomplish. But here's that third point that I want to bring out out of the very passage that we read. The resurrection is the power for a new life. It's the power for a new life. I'll read it again. For we died and were buried with Christ's baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. This is a fascinating truth about the gospel. Yes, indeed, it's worthy of a praise. We can live new lives. The gospel, indeed, is not another competing theory of religion, not another new way to live or a a new way to improve our lives or or improve our morals. The gospel is life-giving. The gospel is heart-regenerating power. And the proof of it is that it does change our lives. We are looking at hundreds, maybe even a couple of thousands of witnesses who can tell you that the gospel has changed their life. And the scripture here says that it's identified with us being buried in baptism unto death. 
just as Christ had to go into the grave for three days, that old life, that life that was carrying the body of sin was raised up to be a new life that would never have to die again, that would never have to carry that life of sin. We also are the same way, typified again through the waters of baptism. We rise up to walk into the newness of life. The power of the resurrection is now in us, and we get to live a whole new life through the resurrection. The resurrection has destroyed the reign of sin in our lives. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Jesus pours the power of the resurrection in our hearts. It's not just a fact of history. It's power to make everything new, even in the present. Power to change things even now. The gospel is not a new philosophy. It's not a new set of moral regulations. It's not a new resolution to the order. It's all about infusion, resurrecting power, being placed in us. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's about receiving a new life. The gospel is all about power, raw, life-changing, heart-starting power. Can you say amen? So at the center of Christianity is an empty tomb that literally changes everything. And I want you to hear this, and team, give me a few more minutes. The resurrection declares that death has been defeated. Death indeed has been defeated. The resurrection is the last word on death. None of us any longer have to fear death. The resurrection is the last word. Because get this, the wages of sin is death. How do we experience an eternal death? How do we come to the flames of hell? How do we experience an eternal damnation? It's because of sin. But if sin has been paid for, for the Lord by the Lord Jesus Christ, and this Jesus has risen from the dead, and God the Father has accepted the offering of Jesus Christ, and Jesus himself said it's finished, then that means none of us have to pay the wages of sin. All the wages of sin have already been paid for by Jesus. The cost, the price of living a sinful life has already been paid for by Jesus. That means none of us have to fear death. Death has absolutely been defeated by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ raising from the dead. So I no longer have to fear death. The last word of death, since death is the last word of death, then there's a whole lot of other things whole lot of other things that the resurrection is the last word on. Can I just talk to you for just a moment about this? If Jesus was raised from the dead, that means that guilt has no place in my life. Guilt has no place in my life. Guilt cannot have the last word. Now, I'm sure I'm no different than many and you're no different than me. All of us have made a whole lot of mistakes in our life. Some things we'll probably never share with folks. There's some things that maybe still haunt you, some things that you still think about, some things that you may never share, and things that you wish never had happened. But I, I want you to hear this. You don't have to live with guilt because the penalty for guilt has been taken on by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus rose from the dead, all of the guilt from your penalty of sin, all of that was left right there in the grave unto the death 
of all sin. We don't have to die a death of guilt any longer because Jesus Christ himself has paid the price for my guilt. Can you say amen? amen. Romans 8, 8, 1 says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get a hallelujah on that? Team, you can come on and come. If Jesus has, was raised from the dead, that means addictions don't have the last word in my life. Addictions is not the thing that will take you out of here. Addictions is not the thing that can control you. Many people are felt captive by their sins and captive by their decisions and maybe caught up in some form of addiction. But when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he released the power to destroy all power of addictions over our life, just like he did with the death. And here, here, listen, I'm not saying that you're not going to struggle. It's not necessarily a quick and easy process. You may have to struggle with, that, with it for the rest of your life. But I am saying this. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate promise of your healing. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the promise of your freedom. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the promise of your victory. You can have a motivation to get up tomorrow and keep pressing forward because Jesus Christ has rose from the dead. Romans 6, 20 through 22 says this. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Why? Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And I'm not bound by the death of guilt. I'm not bound by the death of addictions. If Jesus Christ raised from the dead, that means sorrow, mental and emotional despair cannot have the last word in my life, cannot have the last word. This world has been described as a, as a veil of tears where we watch everything we, we, we love eventually fall apart. We see people depart. We see loved ones go. We see family members. Many people have experienced the death of a loved one, maybe the death of a child. Some folks have watched their, their parents, maybe in their last days, struggle with Alzheimer's and, and, and see some terrible things in their days. There's all kinds of things that can affect us mentally, all kinds of things that can affect us emotionally, all kinds of things that can lead us in despair. We see the height, the rising of suicide. We see the height of it because people are lost in turmoil and lost in emotion and lost in despair. But I'm here to tell you, church, despair and emotional despair and mental despair does not have to be the last word of your life. You don't have to go out like that. Jesus Christ has already went out for you and has already risen from the grave. There is no death that we got to experience in that kind of emotional pain and that kind of sorrow and that kind of, of mental uh, strapping of our minds. The resurrection changes everything. Everything in our life has been changed by the resurrection. The resurrection shows us that the pain that's in our life doesn't have the last word. Jesus is the one that has the last word. And we're going to a place where all of our tears will be wiped away. All of our sorrow will be done away with. There will be no more pain and there'll be no more suffering. There will be no more disease and there will be no more death. There will be no more broken hearts. 
There will be no more lives that are wrecked and destroyed. There'll be no more divorces. There'll be no more child deaths. There'll be no more of that because of what Jesus Christ has done at the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. This means that everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has become, begun because of what Jesus Christ has done. You know, several years ago, I was told about why this name graveyard shift became the term that's used. The stories is based around some of the plagues that happened in the 1500s and the 1800s in, uh, in Europe. And when, when people were buried because of floods or maybe some kind of natural disaster later on, some of those coffins either got washed up, moved, etc. When they had to shift and move some of those coffins, some came open, different things, they noticed that in some of those coffins, there was, you could see the evidence of the person trying to get out, scratching or some kind of something inside that let them know that a person that they thought was dead was put in a coffin and buried but the person was still alive. They thought the person was dead. That led people to be terrified. I did read one actual account of a, of a Lord in England, terrified about the, the supposed death of his 12-year-old daughter, but, but that, that caused people to be terrified to be buried. If there was not a certainty that they were actually dead. So in some coffins and in some some uh, uh, grave sites, they actually hooked up a bell that would go inside the coffin so that if the person, sorry, the string would go inside the coffin so that if indeed the person wasn't dead and came back to life, they could ring a bell. And so there were people assigned to be in the graveyard. So we get the term graveyard shift at all hours of the night in case they heard a bell. If they heard that bell, then they knew that somebody was alive. Now, here is, here is what I'll say. I, I don't know if all of that is true or not. I didn't live in the 1500s or 1800s, despite what some of you might, might think. I don't know if all of that is true. But just let me indulge in some symbolism for just a moment. Because a lot of us have lived a life and for some reason or another, we think that it's over. Or we've been told that it's over. Or maybe, maybe we get the thought, I'm better off just dead. Some of us have, 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 have been wrapped up in so much sin and so much failure and so much guilt and shame, so many addictions, so much emotional and mental despair that you've convinced yourself that you might as well be dead. But let me just tell you this, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. And listen to me, as long as you're alive, there's a hope for you. As long as you're alive, you're not dead yet. It don't matter what people think, it don't matter what people say, it don't even matter what the devil tells you. You're not dead yet. God's not done. My God can still redeem you. My God can still save you. My God can still deliver you because death is not the last word. And this is what I know. I don't care what kind of coffin that you may be feeling like that you're lying in. 
I don't care what kind of despair that you feel like you're in and you think it's over. Can I just tell you something? All you got to do is ring the bell. Because if you ring the bell, the power of the resurrecting Jesus Christ will raise you up. You might think you're dead in addiction, just ring the bell. You might think you're dead in despair, just ring the bell. You might think you're dead in hopelessness, ring the bell. You might think you're dead in sorrow, just ring the bell. The power of the Lord Jesus Christ will raise you up. You don't have to stay in that condition, just ring the bell. My God, my Savior will save you. He will raise you up. He'll give you new life. You get to start all over again. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't take out your life. Ring the bell. Jesus will save your soul. Hallelujah. He'll save you. Resurrection changes everything. Prayer team, come. It changes everything. Listen. I'm telling you this. People can think about their various stories and what they've experienced in life and think nobody knows my story. Every one of us got a story. And every one of our stories can end the same. My son Jermaine has been home for six or seven weeks. Ten weeks. Ten weeks. Ten years, sorry, of living a life away from Jesus. I know from his own story, he should have been dead. People picked him up and said, I don't know why you're alive. Virginia and I would pray for him often and we would think, I don't know how this would end. But one Tuesday morning, my son, he got a bell and he rung that bell. He rung that bell. He said, I need to get my life in order. I need Jesus. And he's sitting here right on this front row today. Why? Because he rung a bell. He rung a bell and he trusted in the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same Jesus can save you. Listen, the scripture is real clear to us in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. You will be saved. It's for by believing in the heart that you were made right with God and it is openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Let me tell you something. Today can be the day that your life changes. It's not a false hope. It's not a false promise. Hundreds of thousands of witnesses around you can tell you what Jesus can do. I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know where you are in your life. Many of you, if you're here for the first time, somebody brought you. Hopefully somebody that you know, somebody that you're close to. But I want to give you an opportunity right now, right now to experience the power of the resurrection. The same power that changed my life, same power that changed the folks on this stage, the same power that changed my son's life, and maybe even the people that invited you is the same Jesus. We have a prayer team here. They'll be lined up across the front. We always give opportunity for prayer, and we'll do here right now. I don't know what your need is, but this is what I know. You need Jesus. Can I ask you to bow your heads with me for just a moment? If you're here and you want to start today, hopefully there's people in the overflow room, people that are watching out in the lobby. But if you want to start today with a new life, with a new life, there's no hocus pocus to this. It's just absolutely believing and trusting Jesus. If you trust 
the power of Jesus Christ and you know you need a life change. If you're in this building, you want to do that today, will you just lift your hand up right where you are? I'll pray for you right where you are. God bless you. 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 Come on. You can just lift your hand. I'll pray for you. God bless you over there. I'll pray for you right where you are. God bless you back there. Jesus is able to do it. Jesus will save your life. Jesus will do the work that only he can do. I'm going to pray now. There's going to be people here that will pray with you. If you made that confession of faith or you want to make that confession of faith, if you're a little afraid to come down on your own, just turn to the person next to you that invited you or somebody you know and say, will you just walk down there with me? For whatever you need prayer for. There may be maybe healing. Maybe, maybe you're going through a situation in your life and you know Jesus, but you just need to get through this. The altars will be open. Someone will be here to pray for you. Somebody will be here to pray for you. Maybe you've made that commitment. You need to be baptized. You can follow the connect on the next steps in your, in your swag bag there, or you can come forward. But listen, don't let this moment leave. Listen, there is not a celebration for us in this house if this message and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't affect you. And I'm telling the opportunities right now. I'm going to pray. You can ask the folks to help you walk. Come down the aisle if you don't want to come alone. But don't miss this opportunity to be prayed for. Jesus loves you and he wants to save you. Father, I want to thank you for this glorious opportunity, for the change that you're making in people's lives. Jesus, there's some here that's already said, yes, I want this new life. Begin to do the work that only you can do. There's some, Lord God, that's on that journey and they're not sure yet. Father, you're able to finish the work. You're able to convince them. You're able, Lord God, by the Holy Spirit to do what only you can do. There's some on that journey already, but Lord, they just want to experience more of you. Some, Lord God, absolutely are in that place of either addiction or some kind of despair, whether it be emotional or mental despair, carrying a whole lot of guilt, carrying weight and shame and sin, Lord God, that you've already taken. So Lord, I pray that you would help them, Lord God, to get to that place where they absolutely trust you. Lord, we know that you're faithful. We know that you're able. And Lord, it's indeed you that we trust. Lord, as we open up this opportunity for prayer, come Holy Spirit and do only what you can do. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. If you want prayer, just come on down. These dear people will be here for you. We're going to go into a song of worship before you'd be dismissed. Just hang with us for one more song. We want to give an opportunity for people to be prayed for. So can you indeed help, help as, as people come? If there's somebody sitting next to you, and they need prayer. Will you help them come down, walk with them, and encourage them in their place, in their faith in Jesus? So we're trusting now as we worship the Lord that Christ will be glorified.